Hello, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. A while back, we talked about Auburn wine, and it was a really fun episode because both Haley and I went out and did a little bit of research, and then we come, we came back and had a conversation. This week, we decided to do kind of a similar conversation because honestly, it was one of my favorite episodes to record. Hopefully, you all enjoyed listening to it. Feel free to check that out after this one if you missed it. So, Haley. I think anytime we talk about a wine in terms of color, we should do this format. (laughs) I agree. Um, There's a rainbow of wines. Yeah, I think we must have read the same article. (laughs) Uh, Because we've got white, red, rosé, auburn. Obviously, like you said, check out that earlier episode. Um, Yellow. mm -hmm. And uh, today we're going to talk about green wines. We both went our separate ways. We researched green wine. Mm -hmm. And now we're coming back together to talk about what we found out. Is it super eco-friendly wine? Is it a color of a wine? I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Haley, I will say we had a little bit of conversation before and you kept being like, I don't want to ruin it for you. Just go do your research, Ashley. (laughs) But I am convinced that I was going down a very different trail than you, Haley. Yes. As I was going through this. You kept being like, is this right? Is this what you're talking about? I was was definitely texting you and you were ghosting me on some of those texts. And my husband in the other room at one point came over because he's like, are you okay? Because I was like, this can't be right. What? (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully. I think we'll find some crossover. Definitely we will. So what did you find in your research? Do you want to start with the craziness or start with like the mundane? So... I googled green wine and the first article or the first, you know, one of the first articles that came up was the wine folly, which it sounds like you also found. And honestly, I thought it was like an April Fool's joke at first (laughs) because I was like, this seems to be turning into like a weird St. Patty's Day themed article about like... How do you create green wine? Um, so that and that same article me. that was the article about ra- the rainbow of colors of wine, right? Correct. So yeah, they talked they about like, everything from like purple wine and blue uh-huh. wine and uh-huh. yellow green wine. wine. Yeah. So we focused on the green wine section, and they talked about that it's you're not going to get colors of green in your yeah. wine unless you add coloring to it, like St. Patrick's Day, like St. Patrick's Day um, when you have a green beer. But they also talked about two other things, Vino Verde. Uh Yep. And it wasn't Vino Verde, it was Vejo Verde. Yeah, I think it's, well, I don't know what the pronunciation is, but. Um, I assumed it's Portuguese, so it's similar to Spanish. And Viejo in Spanish is old. And then mm, that's not what it is, though. It's Vejo, <laughs> but it's it's spe- spelled the same as the Spanish Venjo, Venjo wine. Verde. I think it's pronounced v- Vino Verde. Okay, just but I'm not 100 percent sure. But okay. um, then they also the third thing they talked about in that article about green wine was 
tinctures. <laughs> yes. Or cannabis one. Yes. So like soaking your wine basically it, with cannabis so that you uh-huh. have green as in not like the color, but. Yeah. But as in like the green crosses like, to indicate yeah. cannabis. <laughs> yes. Like <laughs> the grass is in. <laughs> and grasses, yeah. Is in the product. Well, and then the other thing you didn't mention, which I think is where we're going to end up today, is that they mentioned it is organic or biodynamic. Right. What we say, like... Eco. Eco, be green. Right. So, yeah. um, And I think that ultimately is is where we're going with this conversation. But first, I thought it would be kind of fun (laughs) to talk about some of those other green wines. Yeah, let's do that. Have you seen any um, cannabis-infused wine? Being no, in a place where it's legal, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I've seen other like CBD infused other things, olive oil, which is kind of a weird one, or like I know kombucha. Mm. They one time got me at a store. I didn't realize they were like, "You want to try this?" And I like, and then I was like, "Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> this you is what kind sign. of." What kind of kombucha? You should have a bigger (laughs) sign about that. And that was me taking shots of kombucha. Um, Yeah. So, no, I don't know that I've actually seen wine. But now I'll be on the lookout for that. I mean, I don't know if I'd really want it. But, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, It looked like they were very low levels of THC. But not. I don't really know that much about it because it's not legal where I live. So. (laughs) <laughs> well, and it can only be the CBD if it's sold in the stores here or yeah. if it has THC, it has to be in the dispensaries. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. Got it. So that's why like when you go to the grocery stores here, at least you'll find like CBD infused things Okay. or wine tinctures. Were there any other wine tinctures that were that you ran across that were under that green category or just that one? I didn't look too far into it. I know of uh, quite a few wine tinctures, like um, like even locally, uh, Coiled Wines in Idaho makes a kind of tincture product. And she uses, uh, I think it varies from year to year. So she'll take like a base wine and then say like, I want this to be a special holiday thing. So she, she like okay. infuses it with different things, but it can't be labeled as wine. It has to be labeled as... Um, yeah. Well, I think it depends on where you are, how it's labeled. But basically the feds don't, it's like a wine base. And then Mm -hmm. um, you have to pasteurize it and do a couple other things so that it's all safe and good for the consumers. Yeah. I thought it was interesting with the tinctured wines. It actually said that that went back to the like ancient Greeks. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. So it's not like a new practice of any sort. So that's kind of cool to read about. Um, Completely. Yeah. I think that the the green portion of the tincture wines is like if you, uh, well, like we were talking about originally, people considering cannabis like this green product. Mm-hmm. So um, not yeah. necessarily all wine tinctures are going to be green, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the Greece people, well, they used herbs and other things yeah, as well, too. Yeah. Even in so. modern winemaking in that region, you find a lot of other, mm. uh, well, not a lot, but you can find a much more loose interpretation of like what you can add to wines versus oh, okay. in the very traditional, like what we think of as traditional 
um, mm-hmm. which would be like France and Italy. But yeah. in Greece, they're very much like, ah, oh, let's like throw that in and see what happens. And it's also something, like you said, that's been going on for s- super long. Yeah. So they're much Probably more, yeah, they're much more not confined by the rules. They're okay with like, let's let's uh, try some things out. So now let's move over to Portugal. Yeah. Portugal has kind of one of, I don't know what number we're on, but one of the other um, types of green wine right. that I, I ran across in research. And um, which is, how are we saying that? I'm pretty sure, um, well, okay, so... This is how I started my research. I asked mm-hmm. Alexa, hey, Alexa, oh. Wikipedia green wine. <laughs> and she said, uh, here's a Wikipedia article on Vino Verde. Would you like me okay. to read it to you? <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> v- I'm pretty sure it's Vino, but I, like I said, like we talked about, it's Portuguese. So yeah. maybe. She doesn't know how to speak Spanish. I've noticed that. Yeah. She gets very confused. But I'm pretty sure... The interpretation of it is like vino verde is the green portion of that is like young, juvenile. Mm-hmm. Like when you cut yeah. into a branch and it's green on a tree, that means it's a young branch rather than like yeah. the old tissue, which is going to be more brown. So, but not it's necessarily not just green the plants. color. It's right. the harvest because I was reading that it was young vines that they basically release them for sale yeah. three to six months after harvest them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So real, real They're quick, super so. fresh too. They're not typically mm-hmm. like supposed to have all these dark brooding flavors and they can be any color. Like they could be a white, they could be a rosé, they could be a red. Doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily, it's not a green color wine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually low in alcohol, slightly fizzy. And that that's actually from that, there's a region that's called that. And so mm-hmm. the wines come from that region. The other thing that I thought just kind of getting back to one of our earlier conversations about kind of just how wines, grapes came to be, whatever yeah. people with like grazing and pruning and stuff. I thought it was interesting. I ran across an article that was talking about how traditionally they that region was, I think, like potatoes and something else. So some other crops that they were trying to grow. And then they just put the grape vines around the edges of the crops. And so that's kind yeah. of like played into kind of the, the style of winemaking because it was kind of almost like an afterthought of like, okay, now we're done with our other stuff. Okay, let's, you know, let's right. just harvest these grapes and do and make that. And so I thought it was kind of a nice tie-in to like like talking about the eco eco-friendly wines. Like mm-hmm. it sounds like a lot of the Vino Verde traditional wines. Now it's probably different. Like they have this product that does well, so they have farms that are, you know, farming grapes. But originally it was like you're saying like kind of like, oh, just let that grapevine like grow up the fence. And we'll plant some crops underneath it. And then Mm -hmm. when we're ready, we can harvest those grapes for whatever we want. Um, So Mm -hmm. it was like this um, kind of a sister crop almost for... Yeah. Yeah. For I feel like we're going to jump into biodynamics, but I want to, before we jump into that, just address the other colors really fast. And I'm kind of interested maybe at some time to have like a longer conversation about some of the colors. Yeah. The other one that I found was like violet wine, which I think isn't that too, that like different than what we normally see or blue wine. It actually is kind of different. We should have a conversation about like purple wines um, and defining that and stuff because 
it does have to do with, you have to have a certain, like you have to have a certain level of pH. Mm-hmm, it's actually mm-hmm. a higher pH because you you can't get those blue tones yeah. in your wine unless you kind of lean into that higher pH, which is lower acidity. So uh-huh. yeah, it's kind of a okay. fascinating, it would be an interesting yeah. discussion to talk about purple wines, yeah. which people think about purple wines, but really there's very few purple wines. Most of them are in the like red spectrum. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, let's have, let's put that on our notes to have like a rainbow wine, as I want to call it now, um, conversation. (laughs) And I will just say like on the last note, I was just really fascinating reading how the color of wine and the color of like, even like with that purples, like what you mentioned with pH that can actually start telling you a lot about how the wine was made and, and different aspects of the wine. I just, I had known that color was important, but it was really cool seeing it in written in this context. So yeah. that would be a really fun conversation to have later on. So right. Maybe, but let's get yeah. into the 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 real meat of this green one. I think because we're gonna end up talking about biodynamic for probably so long, um, uh-huh. maybe we should tick off the other couple like eco things. <laughs> okay. So okay. Uh, the other big one is organic. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you think about organic wine or organic viticulture. And okay. just to be clear, you can have organic grapes and not mm-hmm. have organic wine because you don't, mm-hmm. you have to have both sides of the process be the organic. So you can grow oh. grapes organically, but if you don't process them organically, then you can't, you can just put on your label like made with organic grapes instead of mm-hmm. organic wine. Okay. Um, and I don't know, I didn't go to the lengths of like ticking off all the boxes of like what is allowed and what isn't. But I know it's a pretty, like it's like a three-year process to get your vineyard and your winery, I think, certified. And the big thing is you're not allowed to add sulfites. Okay. So you have to, any additives, if you use any, have to be organic. And then you can't use any sulfites, which is a natural preservative. And they're also naturally occurring in wine like it's a it's a something that is given off by the yeast so okay you just can't add extras okay natural wines was another one that I ran across yeah I I think that natural wines typically I, I didn't look into that one but I think typically I don't know if did you know did you find if it's a certification no, I think you I can just, just slap that on your label, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Um, and I think the idea is if you make a natural wine, it's um, mm-hmm. no, nothing is added. So like your yeast is, it's a spontaneous fermentation or a native fermentation. You don't add mm-hmm. any sulfites. You don't, um, yeah, nothing is added to the wines. It's just how they come in and how they ferment and then they go to okay. bottle. Okay. The two that I like um, and I know a little bit about that are certifications are SIP certification, which is sustainability and practice. And that Mm -hmm. I think is mostly uh, for wine, but I think it probably could be applied to other things. Um, It's really popular in California because that's where it started. And their key focus is actually on labor. Um, So if you don't have, I mean, there's a lot of other focus, like, you know, is your business sustainable? Um, is it, you know, are you doing other things? But they look at labor as a key part of that sustainability. Like if you're not adequately paying your labor or providing good um, opportunities for your labor force, then Uh you're tech, like they don't, they don't see you as a sustainable business. 
So that's B kind of core, right? Isn't B core one of those? Like I'm a B core. I'm going to. Yeah. Look this B corps are a little bit different and they're, they're, um, but it's a similar, cause I know that that's one of the things like with B corps is yeah, like your that labor. they pay you well. And it's mm-hmm. about like how you manage your labor too. Yeah. The one that is more popular in the Pacific Northwest that you might know a little bit about is live certified. Have you heard of live I certification? Much, but I've heard of it. Um, I've heard it as low input or low impact viticulture and enology. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. actually like they they kind of take a couple different certifications even under that umbrella. So I know that if you're live certified, you're salmon safe and bee friendly. And I should have okay. I should have looked up more. It's really common in the Pacific Northwest. I think they started out in the Willamette Valley. Okay. Um, okay. And. They also is that look under at, like the Oregon Tilt and some of those? Because I know that's another certification. Right. And like being Oregon Tilt certified, which right. is like our level of going through the organic certification. Yeah. And I don't think, so live is not um, Oregon Tilt certified, but I think that a lot of people that have one tend to kind mm-hmm. of go back, like they have the other yeah. or also live certification doesn't necessarily mean you you don't use pesticides or herbicides or other things, but you use a certain type and like, Mm. so you're spot spraying your herbicides, you're not broad spraying or you, um, if you're doing sprays and things like you only do them at certain times so that you don't have runoff and things like that. They also look very regionally. So if you're in an Mm -hmm. arid region and you don't have a cover crop, they're not going to ding you because if you're in an arid region, like a cover crop might not make sense. <laughs> you mm. might need to be doing something else. Whereas if you're in a wet region or a place where it's easier to get a cover crop established, um, mm-hmm. then maybe you should have one. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to have issues with runoff and other things. I I know that I should know. I know a little bit about salmon safe, um, but not a ton. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think... For me, it's like part of like going through a process and learning, you know, some of those things. But that could be a a bigger conversation that we have as well as some of those. And I think that that's where the natural winemaking comes in too. Or sometimes people will just put that label because as you mentioned, you know, some of these certifications take a really long time to go through. And so sometimes it's not cost effective for places to do that. And that's like something conversation I know that you and I have had about like your practices and what you're doing. And that's where I always, you know, I came from this having uh, worked in the orchard industry growing up and knowing that sometimes it's about like, you know, knowing your farmer. I know that like when you go to, you know, the grocery store, you're not always going to know where you're, grapes or whatever came from, but um, sometimes knowing that like local farmer and going to your your farm, um, farmer's markets and stuff is really important and not just writing somebody off because they don't have that USDA organic stamp because sometimes they're in that process or it's just, they're so small that it's so cost prohibitive for them to be able to actually get that certification. Right. So that's the same, like when for uh, about I don't know, five to 10 years ago, everybody started asking like, well, is wine gluten-free? And it's like, just because something doesn't have a stamp on it doesn't mean it has gluten in it. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah. you do need to know where your wine's coming from or where your mm-hmm. potato chips are coming from or whatever. If they don't have that certification, you want to make sure that stuff yeah. isn't in there that shouldn't be. 
because well, that can and happen. I will just put out the caveat that if you have celiacs, I do understand why you're asking. Oh, those yes. Questions. No, I'm not saying not to ask those. I'm saying like you want to, like you were just saying, you want to know yeah. the story behind what's going on because just because someone there's no gluten in our wine. There's there's like n- not even a way for cross contamination to happen. Yeah. We don't have a gluten-free stamp on our bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a process. And right. A and you have permit. to have things tested. And so, <laughs> yeah. so it's good to know who's making your the stuff that you're consuming. For sure. For okay. Sure. I want you to tell me about your <laughs> trail down the dark path of biodynamic farming and winemaking because I think you... Uh, <laughs> I know about it, but I know, like, I didn't look at the very particular stuff because it's something that I knew I could kind of briefly talk about. So tell you me. Know, <laughs> tell I me honestly probably got a little bit, like, overwhelmed by it all. And so I probably <laughs> didn't do as much research as I could have. Oh, like, I think I did you did some a lot of weird, research. I did a weird research, I feel like. Um, so I'll come at this conversation from this point. When... I know that I have said to people, oh, yeah, Haley is trying to do a biodynamic farm because (laughs) I thought you were because I thought that biodynamic was just kind of one of those levels of like organic certification that really had to do kind of getting at some of our other conversations about, you know, the processes and not just like, oh, um, you know, thinking about like, oh, I'm going to have pollinators on my property. Oh, this is my harvestman. Basically thinking about those like integrative pest management and the way that you're like going about your farming practices. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just about like, oh, we don't spray. Um, and I had, so that's kind of where I came at it from was like, oh, this is just another one of those levels of like organic certification. I think too, like salmon safe and live. Right. I think too, like, <laughs> I say to people that that I know that are drinking our wines, like we're not, our vineyard isn't organic or biodynamic certified. So I do lump those kind of together. So maybe I said oh. that at one point and that's why you were like, oh, she's kind of doing a bio, but I'm not. Cause I, I know that most consumers don't, don't really <laughs> understand the difference between those, but they've heard both of those at some point and they're like, yeah, they're like organic Hippie. So I'm 100% in that boat because I was having my mind blown yesterday <laughs> because again, I just thought like, oh, it's, I'm going to, I went into it, the research thinking I'm going to learn about this like organic certification mm-hmm. process. Um, I didn't <laughs> realize that there's actually a whole philosophy behind it and it gets into like astrological signs. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so So (laughs) I was, I think I will say one other thing. I had heard also about in the past with another biodynamic farm in the Willamette Valley. I believe it's Brooks, which, oh my gosh, beautiful vineyard, beautiful wine. Check it out. I know (laughs) we don't always endorse places, but... I've ne- I always know <laughs> when I'm having a Brooks wine that it's going to be delicious and amazing. <laughs> and they have an amazing story too. So check it out if you have not in the Willamette Valley. But I believe they're biodynamic. And I had heard from them about like, oh, yeah, we put cow horns in the ground and then yes. we dig them up. In my mind, and I think it comes back to at the core, I am 
a very literal person. I am a very, in some ways, scientific-minded, logical person. Not always, but... um, (laughs) And so... I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You put the cow horns in the ground because it's a way that you are doing some sort of nutrient management cycle. Like, that's what I thought. Like, it's kind of a fun, different way, but you're doing it because you're. this is some biodynamic thing of getting whatever. Or like composting, like like not really composting, but kind of composting or, yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, <laughs> they pack. So, so for people that are listening that are like, what the heck are these guys talking about? Um, so th- this is something that people talk about a lot with biodynamic farming. Mm-hmm. They take, uh, I think they ha- they're supposed to be steer horns. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. Um, oh, um, some sort of cow horn and they pack it with manure and then they bury it. Again, I'm probably getting all of this wrong. It doesn't necessarily always. It's just some sort of compost Okay, they pack it with... Okay. And then they bury it on a certain day, uh and then they dig it up after a certain amount of time on a certain day in that lunar calendar and make a compost tea to apply. Is what I've... That's what I've Yeah, so I call them tea horns. That's what I am now calling them. I made that up. T-horns. I like it. So, you know, to me, while that might sound a little like kooky or funny to people, in some sense, like getting back to my original comment, it makes a lot of sense of thinking about like, oh, if I think at the core biodynamics is getting back to traditional farming, getting back to like kind of some older ways before we like started our industrial evolution of chemicals and modern which is interesting farming, because Rudolf but, Steiner the guy that started it was before that like the revolution was starting like doing more um more uh monocropping and things like that and like big level farms but really he was before and I think I should know all the dates dates are not a strong suit of mine well, um, let's put a pause on like going into him exactly. And all I'll say is like the tea horns make sense to me because it's getting back into that. And it's yeah. like a way of composting in the past. And also Completely. like there is that fun idea with like the Vikings and drinking the horn of life <laughs> for enhancing properties. And so if we think back to some older methods, I Not think to it, mention, that makes sense. Like, Think of how hard it would be if you dug a pit and just put all your manure in and then you're like, yeah, it's over by that tree. Go dig it up and it's time to make a tea out of it. And then the guy that goes over and he's like, I didn't find it. I'm not. So if you have everything yeah. in a cow horn, then it's like, oh, here's our stash. Yeah. We've got our stuff. And uh-huh. now let's go make our tea and apply it to our crops. Like there's yeah. there's definitely a practical side to it as well. And as, as like kind of, like, okay, is it the right day? What star sign is it? What moon sign is it? What, where are it we on back. the, uh, yeah. it still is helpful in like, just there's kind of a formula of mm-hmm. like, here's the day that you do this. Here's the day yeah. that you do that. And yeah. I don't know enough to say this, but I would assume on the practicality side, like if you missed it by a day, mm-hmm. 
I would Rudolf Steiner it's, say, don't do it. Wait for another month until the stars align again. Or would he just say, oh, this maybe. is just a guideline. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, reading a lot of this it made sense to me from like, you know, if you're not into the biodynamics, but still some of these principles of it was similar to the West or the almanac, the farmer's yeah, almanac. Yeah. And that same concept of, you know, before times of like, not before times, but like <laughs> in the past, like, you know, reading the stars or knowing certain timings mm-hmm. for things and, and, and doing your farming practice and yeah, as to what time things are happening. So let's get into the philosophy of it, which I think, okay. you know, a lot more about. So I don't know who about is this, this? <laughs> who is this Australian philosopher? Austrian. Austrian. <laughs> well, sorry, <laughs> wrong place, wrong continent. Austrian philosopher, Rudolf Steiner. I don't know that I know that much about him, but he he was. You uh, said you took a whole college class that no, talked we about talked him. about him. Um, <laughs> I was a religious studies major, and so he was a philosopher that we talked about. And then okay. after college, when I got into winemaking and like got biodynamics, got brought up, and I started mm-hmm. looking into it, I was like, I know this name. Who's this Rudolf Steiner? And I was like, Oh, yeah, I've mm-hmm. read I read a paper of his or whatever. But I think you're right. I think he probably saw that there were there was a change coming in agriculture and like monocropping was becoming more popular and mm-hmm. people were looking at um, using more uh, mechanized mm-hmm. operations in their farming and kind of maybe he he wanted to go back in time and it's like, no, no, we want we want a more holistic approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about his history and why he created biodynamic ideas. Mm-hmm. I think his ideas were developing, but he re- I'm pretty sure there was there he presented a paper or something like on, like there's a date that biodynamics is considered to be started. Oh, um, interesting. And I think that was in the 1920s and basically he was like, "Hey, you guys should know what you're what was going on astrologically, which was really popular at the time. So I'm sure it didn't, it wasn't far-fetched for many of the people that he was talking to. Like it was like, oh yeah, we need to figure out when Venus is aligned or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I see, I don't know much about astrology. And then it will help us to decide when we need to pick our grapes or when we need to make our wine or how to taste different things. And this is Real very- quick. Yeah, that date, I did a very quick Google search right now. um, (laughs) And it says that it was initially developed in 1920, um, first of the organic movements. And there was something that I just read about something about a series of lectures that there was done and that kind of started it. That sounds right. But I think you, (laughs) so because we were texting a little bit last night and I think you, uh, why don't you take the the bullhorn, the tea horn? <laughs> the, the tea I'll horn. pass the tea horn torch to you, and because uh, <laughs> I think you dove into like some of the astrology and like what when is good and what is good and who is in charge. I don't know. <laughs> so. uh, not too much because I just was like getting myself so confused by all <laughs> okay. of it, but. I did learn about this thing called a biodynamic calendar or biodynamic wine calendar. 
And I definitely wrote in my notes in all caps, why did no one tell me about this until now? (laughs) I was definitely in my notes writing like my reactions to things. And I think it just gets back to that like, where I thought biodynamics was just like another organic process, which mm-hmm. it is in some ways. So w- I was kind of finding two different strains of thought and I wasn't like able to fully piece them out yet. Okay. But one of them was about like using like what we mentioned, the farmer's almanac type concept of like a sowing calendar. This is the time to sow. This is the time to harvest. This is the time to do other things with your grapes. Another one was talking about, and this is a bit more like blog posts and anecdotally things. And I think there was a couple that might've kind of shown some different you know, like almost astrological sign charts of sorts, but they talked about when to drink certain wines. I've heard that too, but I haven't looked into it. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, that's what I was like getting real confused at that point. Um, And I was like, what? But (laughs) certain days you should drink. And so it came down to in, and again, I am not the best with astrology, but that there are in the calendar fruit days, root days, flower <laughs> days, and leaf days. Okay. And so I will break down each one of those as I found out. <laughs> so fruit days are the best days for harvesting grapes. Root days are ideal days for pruning. Flower days are leave the vineyard alone on these days. And leaf days are ideal days for watering plants. And they're kind of like, it almost looked like one of them. I couldn't read it completely because I don't understand all the astrological signage stuff. But it did seem to go along with, you know, what you think about like with your birthday and that time of year. So it's like the seasons of Mm -hmm. like, it was kind of broken up into the four, like a little chart uh, circle with the four. One of them, I will say also that was talking about the drinking then aspect of it, even though it's like flower day, leaf day, it again, it seemed like season. Okay. But I really liked it because it just had a thumbs up and a thumbs down. (laughs) And it was like flower day, thumbs up, leaf day, thumbs down, don't drink, (laughs) root day, bad, which I, and then fruit day, great. And I was like, oh, these, it it makes sense. I don't know. Cause like flowers and fruits like sound good to consume leaves and roots. I mean, I like roots and leaves, but like (laughs) maybe a little more bitter and a little like heartier. So like not, not doing that. Um, I am a Gemini, so I am a flower day. (laughs) That was really fun. And I think, Haley, you might also be a flower day. So so we can all add that, I guess, to our like astrological signage of, you know, air, wind, fire. Yeah. Sign and which of these day are you. So then you know what you can be drinking on your birthday, I guess. Yeah. Um, So... Like I said, then I just, I really pivoted to looking more about the sewing calendar of it all. And that honestly, like made sense to me getting back to like 
what you said, the holistic view of agriculture, a non-Western view of agriculture, which I really appreciated. And I was a little bummed by the fact that like so many of these articles really focused on like the European Western thought of it, but yet it seemed like at the core, some of these were non-Western culture ideas too. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bummed to see the narrative not bringing those voices in. I could probably theorize on a little bit of that because of my educational background, which is at this time, philosophy was super, super into Eastern like especially uh-huh. um, Ar- Ayurveda, Ar- Ar- uh-huh. I always get it wrong, but um, Ayurveda um, concepts and things like that. So they were all talking about like Hinduism and especially mm-hmm. language too mm-hmm. and how language might be the like key to understanding all of history and all of religion and all of mm-hmm. philosophy. So I think probably Rudolf Steiner was reading a lot about this and studying it and going and seeing it and practice and like, yeah, these guys totally have this figured out. Like we should be doing more of this. And then he was just the one that the Western dude (laughs) that got the word out about these not, not as Western practices, but now they're definitely part of kind of our Western uh, <laughs> organic do a heritage. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think if I'm going to research more of this, I definitely want to hear more of that other narrative. I think that's a, I mean, that's definitely kind of a getting into philosophy and yeah. my worldview a little bit. But I, I do think that it's important to have those stories and narratives as part of it. So it's a little bit like, hmm, that's a bummer because these concepts really seem to be not from like you're saying, Western. Yeah. 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 So completely. No, it's a very interesting and understanding where they are in history. And yeah, yeah, it's all. I didn't know any of that. So that's good part of the knowledge. (laughs) The other person I ran into was somebody called Maria Thun. Thun? I'm not sure. Um, It says the calendar, this calendar that we've been kind of talking about, which we can put in our show notes a link to one of the calendars. Yeah. You can see what we're talking about. Um, was originally devised by the high priestess of biodynamics, this calendar, um, Maria Thun, um, and that she was the one that kind of divided it into these four different days. So I'm pretty sure Rudolf Steiner died um, not very long after, but he had this following. So I think they kind of mm-hmm. kept the like idea of this biodynamic farming alive. And I think they have like a... I don't want to call it a church, but I think they have a group of like-minded people that mm-hmm. um, still, they still have a following today. Um, okay. I don't think they consider themselves a church, um, which is yeah. why I don't want to call it that, but um, a group of like-minded uh, followers, I guess, of mm-hmm. these philosophies and of, I think it's called anthroposophy. So maybe I'll look more into that because it interests me. But (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Did you find out any other like philosophy, whatever facts about biodynamics? No. I mean, yes and no. I think that we covered a ton of it. So I don't think I need to add anything to it. (laughs) Okay. I will say like pretty much the last point or one of the last points that I have that I researched or or was thinking about as I was reading about some of these concepts that I just thought was interesting is 
some of the stuff, again, I didn't read any scientific papers. I was just getting my mind blown by all this other stuff. So, um, but I didn't, I was just thinking as I was reading through this, that some of the studies about like, oh, is biodynamics good? Is it good for healthy soil? Yeah. As I was reading it, it all made sense to me that, yeah, that's good, but it's not at essence like the fact of biodynamics, but it was at that whole thing of these processes that people that do biodynamics is like, because one of the things I was reading was like, oh, is it organic soils, non-organic like practices um, and how the soils are better? But I think it gets into that, like there's also maybe along with biodynamic processes that you're not tilling the soil and that can, you know, tilling the soil repeatedly can really break down your soil aggregates. So that's something that can, can play into it and, and building up your organic matter and all those other things. Like it was just all together. I Mm -hmm. felt like. Another thing about biodynamic farming and like, you know, the fact that maybe they're their vineyards are more healthy or they look more healthy mm-hmm. or their soils are 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 healthier in terms of their structure yeah. and what's living in them and things. A lot of biodynamic um, proponents or people that practice biodynamic methods, mm-hmm. they have to spend a lot more time mm-hmm. and more manpower to to get that. So, so they're in their yeah. vineyard a ton and they know, like, as soon as they have a problem, they're like, oh shoot, that vine, it, something's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to figure out if it's disease or if it's just not, you know, oh, it's just that it's not getting water. Like it's, um, yeah. you know, or whatever it might be. be. But because they're, they're spending so much more time physically in their crops, I yeah. think they actually, um, that's one of the reasons that they tend to have healthier crops healthier mm-hmm. soils, healthier. Um, a part of it is also, you know, Rudolf Steiner's ideas about having, uh, I, I don't think it was called pollinator friendly, but like having, yeah. What did, how did he? Planting cover crops, yeah. having pollinators, having all of that. Yeah. Again, it gets to the same concept I was just saying. Yeah. It's like all of these things together equals these good healthier practices. Ecosystems. And it's hard to start. I mean, I know this, you know, with my master's in ecology, like it's, Ecology is such a fun subject because you can't just, it's not like a traditional lab science that you can parse things out and be like, well, this is the thing because they're all interconnected. And so that's when I'm reading this stuff, I'm like, well, that makes sense because X, Y, and Z are also happening. And so can you really say it's this one or it's actually this like big, and that's not saying like, don't go down the path of this. It's just saying that it is very holistic. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think we got into a lot of biodynamics there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so Demeter certified vineyards. Uh, I don't yeah. know if they have a winery certification. I didn't actually look at that, but Demeter certified vineyards would be considered very green, okay. um, <laughs> I would say. And that's, I think, was kind of our uh, our episode on green wines. Everything from color to tinctures, to actual practices in the vineyard. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all, it's all green. It's, it's all, all green, green to me. <laughs> Who says that? I don't remember. Anyway. It's all Greek to me. It's all green to uh, me. Oh, maybe that, should, oh, maybe that should be that name of this episode. 
Okay. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, y'all, for joining us today. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. So please subscribe, review, um, share our podcast with other like-minded um, people that are interested in wine or ecology or vineyards. And if there are topics you want us to cover, please write us in. Our email is wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. You can also find us at uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Whole Cluster Conversation. We're going to talk about prepping the vineyard for winter, hopefully. And I don't even know what else we've got on the docket in the next couple of weeks. So come on back and hear what we've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.